Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and our week in IndyCar guest show. This time it's our man, good friend, very good friend of the show, Michael Shank. Doing a little bit of uh, traveling here. Just got back from postseason vacation, almost straight to Los Angeles for the LA Auto Show. And we caught Mike waiting to fly back home to Ohio. Did his best to find as quiet a corner of the airport as he could. Got into some interesting stuff here. What's readily apparent is how much you all trust him and appreciate him and know that you can ask serious questions about team ownership, the business side, the management side, all manner of things, and know that he's going to give you a straight answer or as straight as he can. And that's pretty awesome. So I love it when we have Mike on the show. Always get into some fun stuff. Has a couple fun stories too. Thanks to your questions. And as always, thank you for those questions. Just about everything we do here on my little podcast on a weekly basis is indeed driven by you and the questions you send in through Reddit, Facebook, and Twitter. And we just have a good old time. So big props to Mike. Big props as well to our partners at the Justice Brothers, at Cooper Tires, at TorontoMotorsports.com, and also Bell Racing Helmets USA. Fun end of year coming up here, trying to decide who our final week in IndyCar guests will be to close out the year, trying to think on what kind of special feature might roll out, done one every year in December since we launched the little old podcast, uh, what, month of May 2016. We are charging towards our four millionth download. Don't think we're going to get it by the end of the year. Seems like it's going to be probably a January or February thing, but still, uh, (laughs) that's just, it's mind boggling. It really is to think that we will have reached 4 million downloads here since we did put this fun little weekly obsession of mine together a couple of years ago. Another quick note while we're just sharing random things, and by we, I mean me, uh, we've been over a hundred thousand downloads every month this year and that's also a first it's pretty cool uh, just to see the overall growth in traffic another little metric that i looked at recently took 11 months last year took through i believe it was early november for us to crank out a million downloads and we actually did that in about eight and a half months this year so It's all just thank you. (laughs) Thank you to you. Thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and Toronto Motorsports, Bell Racing Helmets, and all of you who spread the gospel, I guess, or at least some of the the items in the good old book here uh, seem to be enjoyed. So thanks again. It's been a rather interesting week, hasn't it? There are some things going on at one of my two local home tracks, that being Monterey, that Yeah, um, I would be challenged to say they were completely above board. Nonetheless, and despite some readily apparent conflicts of interest, uh, appearances of votes being, let's just say, the odds improved for those votes to be delivered. Did that have anything to do with the preferred management vendor contributing significant campaign funds 
to two of the three board members? Don't know. Definitely know that it's something to be thought about, but apparently those that voted the Monterey County Board of Supervisors on Tuesday to usher out their longstanding track manager and usher in a brand new one, uh, they were not concerned by the fact that the majority of the supervisors had received campaign donations from the very person they were voting on. So, uh, politics, <laughs> always a fun topic, isn't it? Thankfully, it's really not something we get into on the show here. The listener Q&A show went up yesterday. That also is driven by all of your questions. As you might have figured out if you've listened to it, that's a pretty informal thing. It really is. I leave in most of my mistakes and I make up words because sometimes my brain doesn't always connect to my mouth. Connects to my backside very well, not always my mouth. So that went up yesterday. You all sent in a bunch of fun, fun stuff. So I hope you get a chance to check that out. And then here is our more serious, kind of, sort of, more professional weekly IndyCar discussion with our guest. Mention as well, because this is just my life, uh, our cat Rocky is currently sitting to my left, laying on top of the scanner, uh, grooming himself and getting a nice little suntan or getting baked in the sun here, because what else would you do if you were a California cat, I guess? At least he's not walking in front of the microphone as he often does and puts his rear in my face to send a message. I don't know, a little passive aggressive, but that's what we got going on here this week. We got Monterey, we got cats. Uh, oh, hey, Renus VK, really fast race car driver. A kid I've been saying on the podcast here for a couple months now. I expect to be the big surprise of the 2020 IndyCar season. Finally, finally confirmed. I wouldn't put it in the worst-kept secrets category, but we expected this to happen for quite a while. Signed as Ed Carpenter Racing's lone full-time driver for next season. Last quick item for you before we get going with Michael Shank. Some of you might have seen a new T-shirt that was inspired by the show. Inspired by my man Robin Miller, guest about a month ago who was asked if he had any hobbies outside of motor racing. And he uncorked one of the great quotes that has been offered on the good old podcast here. I don't have any hobbies. I gamble. I go to races. And I'm an asshole. And I just decided that that needed to be a t-shirt because it is truly the embodiment of Robin Miller and his life. So our friends at TorontoMotorsports.com, along with my pal Roger Warwick, who did the artwork, cranked out a kind of Miller campaign t-shirt, Miller 2020. So if you are a lover of Robin Miller as I am and want to endorse, I think the only candidate for office next year, uh, if you are a Republican, you're a Democrat, I'm just saying, I've had enough. We've had those fools in office for far too long. I am casting my vote, not as an independent, with the Robin Miller assholian party. So uh, please join me. <laughs> if you want to wear a shirt that has a curse word on it and celebrates the greatest crank reporter IndyCar has ever known, well, there you go, torontomotorsports.com. Other than that, let's get rolling. Let's get rolling here with Shank. Hope you enjoy the conversation. 
insightful as always. And we'll look forward to speaking to you next week with, I don't know who, honestly. I know Brian Hurt is someone who might be coming on. Ed Carpenter is another one. If you got ideas who you'd like to see as one of the final guests of 2019, let me know, and I'll reach out here on the Weekend IndyCar on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Brought to you by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Michael Shank, you are one of our favoritistest guests on the Weekend IndyCar. What, you're in the uh, L.A. airport right now waiting to uh, to fly home, so thanks for doing your best to find a quiet spot knowing that perfect silence, probably not an option. Probably not an option here in uh, glorious Los Angeles, but ha- happy to answer everything we can here today. All right, we're going to start off with your ATM number and PIN code, actually. That's the <laughs> first one that's come through. Uh, let's just jump in, man. Uh, I've tried to put them in some sort of order that might be amusing. So uh, opening the show, our man Bryson Frank, who says, Mike, what has been the biggest roadblock in achieving a full-time spot on the IndyCar grid? Uh, that's easy. It's always money. <laughs> it's literally always money. We have to have a uh, foundation uh, to go and do our deals with, and uh, just finding the right partners. And and I really, I really have a great pair of companies that have really stood behind us in automation and Sirius XM. And uh, I'm really grateful that they stuck with us. We had a plan. We stuck with the plan, and we've done everything we said we're going to do to this point. And I'm like extremely proud of that fact. Got two here from Jordan Darwin. Says, Mike, what are the goals for Meyershank Racing in 2020? Podiums, wins, being absorbed by the Andretti Autosport juggernaut. Uh, What's the goal now that you're going for your first full-time IndyCar season with Jack Harvey? That's a a great question, and we've talked about this a lot. Listen, this year when we stopped, we did every race through the Indy 500, and we're a tenth in points when we stopped. Uh, going full-time this year. Uh, Two planned, by the way. That was planned. Um, but for this year, we need to finish in the top eight. We need to transfer once in, in road course qualifying every single time. We want to try to have two to three podiums and finish in the top eight in points. And I think they're all very realistic. Um, there's a lot going on at Andretti Autosport, which all, we all acknowledge. But I can tell you already, the transition to what they do uh, differently than Schmidt-Peterson uh, is already well underway for our team. And uh, both our cars are being prepped, one for uh, the Speedway, actually, Marshall, and uh, one for the road course stuff. And, and it starts with the canopies. And, uh, so the aeroscreen. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're both in different phases of that happening right now. So um, those are our goals. And uh, we see zero reason why we shouldn't be able to uh, hit a few of those anyways. Jordan also asks, and we cracked this open a little bit a week or so ago, but let's dive into this for the Week in IndyCar audience. Jordan asks, how does Penske buying IMS and IndyCar impact Meyer Shank Racing's business? Um, it does not today, but I can tell you this. Uh, Jim Meyer and I have millions invested in equipment in IndyCar, and um, I rest a little easier knowing that um, 
knowing of the potential I think Roger and his group will bring to the table. Of course, I don't have a, 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 a seeing eyeball there to try to figure out exactly what's going to happen. Um, but I know he doesn't do half of anything. It's always all the way. And uh, creative things like, you know, I saw a story you did today, Marshall, on franchise systems. Um, seems very interesting to me since I'm already heavily invested. So I missed the first era, Marshall, of uh, franchise, which turned into a stock, and a lot of people made a lot of money. So I'm, I'm going to try to recreate that at some point. All right. Well, I need to co-enter with you on uh, on something here so I can, you know, get in on the gold rush. Maybe Miller and I can start a failing team. Um, I apologize to whomever sent this in. I managed to crop your name out. It says for Mike, how could IMSA and IndyCar work together and help each other more growing together in a mutually reinforcing way that of course, well, uh, being asked since you have a championship winning team in IMSA and your IndyCar program as well. Well, I think there's some interesting horizons and interesting things that nobody's thought of yet. And I'm not saying I have the ideas. But there, there is obviously ways we can combine resources in with what makes sense at certain events anyways. We already do it a little bit. Um, I, you know, the, the eras, uh, the time, I think, are gone by where we had to have, you know, church and state had to stay separate. NASCAR does this, IndyCar does that, SportsCar does this. I think that the greatest potential to go reach more people is doing combination shows that would blow people's mind. So well, we're talking about concerts race events over Friday, Saturday, Sunday, give, give the folks a true reason to spend money in motorsports again. And, uh, I think there's a lot of things that they could do to help each other. Um, but to start with creating great destinations for people to come to, uh, would be number one. Coachella on wheels. A little bit. Yeah. I like, yeah. Yeah. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Let's go to Nathan DeRover. Hey, Nathan, thanks for always sending in good stuff. Says, Mike, now that you're going full-time in IndyCar for 2020, what are the biggest changes on the IndyCar side? He asks, will the team work exclusively on IndyCar, or will you still have some personnel continue to go back and forth between your IMSA and IndyCar programs? Wow, these are really great questions, and it's exactly what we're going through right now. To answer it, you know, through 17, 18 we had eight to 10 people that did both sides of the aisle. This year, we had about six in 2019, and next year we'll have two. So we've added a lot of staff, seven so far since the end of this past racing season. Uh, when you go full-time and you have two cars, you really have to have division here, and you can't overtax either side of the, of the aisle. So we do hire more people. And uh, that was accounted for in the budgeting and uh, we're in the middle of hiring some great people. I heard you hired one old friend of mine. I don't know if he'd qualify as great people. Uh, some guy named Swan. He's just a nuisance. Just a, a, just. He's a problem. Is he a problem child? Okay. Oh, I mean, look, ever since they, they took the tracking bracelet off his ankle, I mean, that, that helps. But, you know, yeah. All right. We uh, can live with that. As long as it's off now. <laughs> Uh, let's go to Jeff Greendike. who says, Mike, first off, thanks for everything you do in both IndyCar and IMSA. He says, when it comes to IndyCar, how much more in terms of people and overall effort does it take to run a team compared to a quality GT Daytona effort, or are they similar? It's interesting. I never asked about car, about staff counts from, uh, one series to the next for you. Yeah. You know, they're about equal. 
They're, they're, they're a little bit, you know, I mean, if you, if you break the GTD IMSA effort down, maybe there's one less guy on a car than the Indy car or two less, but the overall effort is more. It takes more people to pit an IMSA car than it does an Indy car. So the sheer weekend number of people are more actually than Indy car. Uh, but it's just, it's just very, very summer. And by the way, my mechanics on the, on the IMSA program are easily could be IndyCar or vice versa. I mean, we're hiring the same type of people for both efforts. Let's go to a couple questions here that piggyback off of one we just got into about uh, Michael Andretti's comments on franchise system. William Matson says, or discussing what Michael said on the podcast here recently. He says, how would that even be done? And do you think that there's a way to increase teams' value and make it easier for new teams to get started? Are those diametrically opposed options? How would that be done? Uh, Well, first of all, you have to create uh, benefits to own a franchise, which means, A, you can't run an IndyCar race without being a franchise owner, which makes it have value immediately, and that's kind of how it was back way before my time in IndyCar. So... We also would have to redistribute how they do the leader circle program, which you talk about at different times in your life here, Marshall. And uh, that money that's allocated to the leader circle program could be also turned in, I'm assuming, to some kind of franchise deal as, uh, if you want to call it, show-up money or something like that, you know. Um, but we, we have to create a reason why a franchise is valuable, like it is in NASCAR, say. And... Um, and for us, it's it's not necessarily a greed thing. It's we're we're you know, Jim and I have two or three million dollars in equipment now, and and we're trying and, you know we're taking big risks. And there should ultimately be a little bit of a gain, and like in normal sporting systems, from owning a quote unquote franchise. Let's go to Vincent Anderson. He says at Schmidt Peterson, your team looked like and felt like the third car. Your haulers. Hero card and paint scheme all felt like it was picked for you. Vincent says, now being in a technical relationship with Andretti, will your team look like Andretti's sixth car or more like your own? Also says, congrats on full time and see you at St. Pete. Well, that's another good question. But in reality, we picked everything at SPM. We chose to do some tie-ins to kind of tie us all together, but that was a choice that we all came up with together. It's not forced. On the IndyCar side, it'll be more kind of more of the same. You'll see small elements, um, but we, you know, we're still an independent team. Technically, we're connected, but marketing-wise, and even though we do actually spare, uh, share a major sponsor, um, we're, we're in separate. You will see us lined up with all the Intrady trailers, Marshall. Uh, you will see us in the debrief trailer that Andretti is building as we speak today for all the drivers to come in and debrief together. Um, so we'll be very integrated, but um, I, think it'll, I think it'll be very similar in, in what they saw from SPM. Next one, a little bit of a change in theme, but it's certainly something that's been coming up lately. This comes from Cameron Morris. It says, Mike, do you think Honda will ever leave us for Indy, uh, for NASCAR? He says these rumors have him panicked. Uh, not claiming you have any inside knowledge, but do you have any feel or, or fears that we might not have a Honda and IndyCar and I guess maybe then Acura and IMSA? Um, I don't have any fears uh, for the next few years anyway. Um, 
I think if Honda, this is just my opinion, and this is not anything coming from uh, higher up at Honda, but, you know, for them to invest in NASCAR would cost a lot. And I think they would have to give up a lot of what they're doing with sports car and IndyCar in order to perform at that level. And I don't think they want to do that. And having been at the LA Auto Show all day today, and seeing the commitment from Acura and driving their brand and their street cars, I don't know if it's a perfect match for them anyway. Um, so I think we'll see, in my opinion, I think we'll see a very similar uh, outline of what, what they're doing for the next several years anyway. Ultimately, though, uh, you know, I'm not super inside what they're doing, but uh, I feel pretty okay with the way things are right now. So I can start the shank to NASCAR with Honda rumors right now. You'd be yeah, that put, the, put, put that out there. Okay, all right. I'm doing. You know, I got 27 weekends this way. This already, <laughs> I might as well just go all the way with it. Absolutely. Uh, 27 plus 36 uh, Cup weekends. Yeah, that's 52. Um, got a couple questions here. You've become kind of the man in the paddock that people want to talk to about dampers. Uh, Three questions here. We'll try and parse out the differences. John Richter opens with, Mike, you've mentioned a preference for spec dampers in IndyCar. He says, hashtag me personally. I agree, since no fan at the track or on TV can see the shocks. Is there something else you envision that could differentiate the cars uh, you're thinking of uh, besides engines that might not be all spec, but maybe might not be as expensive as dampers? You know, I don't know that there is. Um, a lot of the areas on the car as we sit here today, now that we've gone to a common body, are really controlled by IndyCar now. If I, uh, if I want to make a change to a lot of the systems on the car, it has to go through a homologation process at IndyCar, which is complicated and takes a while. Uh, they've really got everything locked down. I think they keep the dampers open to give... You know, it's still in the majority of people's thoughts. They've already invested a lot of money in dampers as they sit today. You know, what's the point, right? And, and that's kind of the attitude. Well, my point, my point on dampers is simple. You know, for a new team to come in here and, and try to tackle the dampers thing on their own, it is impossible. And uh, and I, that's not good. I don't like that, right? And it's an unpopular I bring up in some of these IndyCar meetings, uh, but they, they got to understand for sustainability, they need new teams. And for new teams to feel like they have an opportunity, they have to have cars that can compete when they roll off their trailer for the first time. And some people are going to say that's not fair for the people who have been here forever. I'm just telling you, I lived through it to get me going in Daytona prototype, and it really helps a new team. So, uh, I'm torn on it. And um, the days of spending multi-millions on dampers, too, I think are probably limited. Um, so I'll always support the uh, more spec damper scenario. Got the next question from Nate Falkowitz on the topic of wanting to reduce costs about excessively expensive dampers. He asks, how do you approach Roger Penske about something like that, given that that's an area where his team often has an advantage over smaller teams since the Penske Racing Shocks organization, the private ones they produce for their team, have uh, definitely produced the last couple of champions, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you pose that one to RP? Hey, you need to take this thing that you used to beat us with off the table. Well, so here's the thing. Roger, as of two weeks ago, is in a different scenario now. 
he needs to do what Big Bill France always said, is to be successful, you have to fill the paddock with teams. To do that, you have to give opportunity to teams. So Rogers' unfair advantage, quote-unquote, is going to, in my opinion, ultimately has to be um, leveled to get more people involved in our sport. Bring along some of these indie-like teams. Um, you know, some of these teams that you know have an opportunity, um, maybe at different points, but they they got to feel like they can be successful and not be an also run. In my opinion, it's a, a better longer-term view. Um, and, and, and trust me, I get it. All these engineers that are employed doing simulations and all kinds of damper development, it, it ruins that department. I get that, okay? I'm thinking long-term for the success of the series. Yeah. I believe that we got to make it an inviting place for people to come. Let's go to Zachary Bertram. I, love, I just love the specificity. I'm glad I could pronounce that at this hour. And some of the questions here, Zach says, Mike, you mentioned the cost of the SPM dance dampers before. And now I assume you would have access to the Andretti dampers. Did you have to give back the SPM dampers or to get to keep them and then get the Andretti shocks? And he says, is there some kind of intellectual property deal with the transition? So how does that work? Honestly, you're the, you're the lightning rod for technical alliances in the paddock. So how does that work, man? You got to hand in, you know, your your uh, SPM polo shirt stuff too. You know what? How does this work, man? Marshall, these questions. Holy cow! I know. Okay. I don't have many softballs for you, brother. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. So, so here's the thing uh, with the Schmidt Peterson deal, and every deal is different. You know, there's some other technical alliances out there, but uh, with the Schmidt Peterson, I own the dampers, uh, but they they maintain them and they uh, they rebuilt them and that type of thing. So I own the dampers. The, uh, the Andretti is a, a lot, is a little bit different deal and they own the IP and they own the physical dampers. And part of our fee we pay to be with them goes toward essentially, uh, you know, the damp, some of the damper programs. So they come in back and forth to us, but we do, don't own them in that, in this case. And we knew that, we knew that to be the case from, uh, last season with the Harding Steinbrenner team. So that, sure, that's sure, not, sure. not revealing any inside secrets, sure, uh, here. Sure. Let's go to uh, Darren Dubois following the theme. Mike, when you have a technical partner, who owns the data from the races like last year? Is that Meyer Shank Racing or SPM? Uh, we, own, we own the data, our data, just that's generated from our car. We do not have right to the other team's data. Well, there you go. We're going to go to uh, KP, also known as Green Gecko 119. He says, what sort of adjustment period do you expect going into this Andretti Technical Alliance, um, leaving the uh, spam team? He says, seems to have been a good situation for you, or is it success in the case, maybe, or is success for you less about the Technical Alliance and more about your team learning and growing uh, as a part of being in an alliance with Andretti? Yeah, so. yeah. yeah, that's, that's a, you know, it's always about learning and growing. Uh, SPM and... Uh, and Andretti definitely do things different that we're seeing now. Uh, both are, have their strengths for sure. I had a, a very good run for two years with Sam and Taylor and the guys over there. I've got no complaints. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I think it's cool that my guys get to experience another methodology to how you get to the kind of the same result potentially. Um, I think it's awesome and that we get to learn a lot. And um, 
I believe technical alliances are somewhat kind of a, a thing of the future for teams like mine coming into the series. Uh, they want to be competitive right away and um, gives you the best opportunity to do that. Well, think about this benefit, too. When it's time for lunch, you get to go to Andretti Hospitality and potentially have lunch with Mario Andretti. I mean, I don't know that's what that always, costs, that's but that's cool. I've that's, had that happen already. That's, that's cool. freaking awesome right there. That's worth the price yeah. of admission. It is. Let's go to a Nathan Cook, who, who might have the most important question of the episode. Mike, who in the IndyCar paddock would you most want to have a beer with and party with? <laughs> I've had, I mean, I've already done it with a lot of the guys. I know um, Vassar has to be one of them. That guy's in a constant party. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. That that definitely we could do we could do that. And his partner Sullivan, they're, they're always fun guys. But you know, a lot of the you know we we go pretty hard when we go out and have fun like that, you know. But uh, there's always there's always a you know good good people to go out and have a good time with. Um, I'm just trying to think specifically about uh, you know I'd like to see Bourdais drunk. I think that could be a lot of fun. No, oh, that'd be a lot uh, of crying. Uh, he'd just be, be cry- he'd be crying the whole time, wouldn't he? Hey, can you yeah. can you confirm or deny uh, you've been out partying and seen uh, Roger Penske do body shots? Is that uh, not, that would be awesome if I saw it? But I can't imagine that happening. I really can't. <laughs> he, he's not going to sit. Hey, listen, he can come over and drink Bush Light with me out in front of my motorhome at Indy. I'd be happy to have him. So that's a photograph that we need to see that's a live stream we need to see for sure <laughs> rp crushing cans with shank live at indy ah oh, hey, yeah trust me monday to thursday i'm out front at night in front of my motor i'm drinking bush light all right well i know where i'm gonna be uh gonna be next year uh let's see all right we're gonna go back a little bit this is maybe a, a little bit of a softball too chris peterson says without burning any bridges or at least no bridges that you'd like to remain standing can you provide any insight as to how you got stuck with an IndyCar chassis some years back, but couldn't get an engine lease. He says, who do we burn in effigy over this mess? He says, hashtag me personally. I think it was part of that vast Wolverine conspiracy to keep Buckeyes out of the Indy 500. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've told this tale before in the show, but I, we always, we got new listeners every week. So if you could regale us in 2012 MSR Indy, I believe, was the name of the project that did not yeah, get yeah. off the ground. So that project was funded by me and my wife and a guy named Brian Bailey, who's been a constant supporter of MSR for years and years. Amazing guy. Yeah, yeah really cool guy. Uh, he, you know, he, he's done well for himself, but neither one of us could really afford to do it. We had just come off winning the Rolex 24 overall in 2012, feeling pretty confident got a lot of momentum going we decided to buy a car had no relationship really with chevrolet or honda at the time so i was a ford team at that point and i would remain a ford team for the next couple of years actually at emsa so i had really no there's no you know, chevy or, or honda had no real incentive to help me and lotus i could see where lotus was going to a really really bad place and at one point, I looked at Brian. I said, "Listen, I'm I'm not willing to go any further with this. If we got to be loaded, you'd it's already bought a be- chassis, right? You bought and uh, what? Yeah. Taken delivery of a new Delardi W12 chassis? That's right. We had uh, chassis 13, and um, he and I made the decision. And my wife actually, we all made the decision. Let's let's you know, we can't get a motor now. A lot of things happened to try to get us a motor at the time. Randy Bernard." Uh, Darth guy now, Darth Brooks's guy now, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you know, he did what he could, um, but, you know, really couldn't move the ball with the manufacturers at all to get me a motor at the time. And um, really, really a bad deal for us. And we lost, you know, 150, 200 grand all, all in. Uh, we had to fire sale what we had and um, left a pretty bad taste in my mouth. I felt at the time that I'd come from IMSA or at Grand Am and Jim France and, and, and he treated me so well. And I got to see the opposite of that at the time. And it's not that IndyCar treated me badly. It just didn't prioritize what I was trying to do. And I guess they weren't, they didn't know that to me, to be honest. Um, you know, roll the clock forward to 2017. Jay, Jay Fry is now in charge. And, and it was complete opposite. And he made sure we had what we need to get out on the track and do the Indy 500 2017. Um, and, and, and just treated us like they really wanted us. And ever since then, it's just been awesome. And we owe a lot to IndyCar and the Holm and George uh, family to get us to this far. And there's other guys in my boat, by the way, that, that got, you know, that, uh, you know, or we made sure they were there too. Yunkos, Harding, uh, all of us came along at the same time, you know. You know, one thing, just giving props to you here, I mean, obviously you and I have known each other for a, a long, long time, but for most of that time, if we're talking ownership, I knew you as the guy running Atlantic team and then uh, as a Grand Am team, sports car team owner. And so getting to do what I do, covering the sport, seeing you involved going to sports car races. And so listening to because you and I spoke when you were talking about putting this thing together and kind of followed it and saw where it went and then where it didn't go. And while we didn't get you into IndyCar until 2017, what folks don't know is the amount of conversations you and I had between 2016, uh, 2012 after this fell apart going forward, where you were just livid and determined, like, all right, you MNFers, so you think you're going to extinguish my IndyCar dream or put the barrier so high I can never climb over it. All right. So that's one of the things I appreciate is the fact that, yeah, folks did very little to help actually make this dream come to reality. You went and bought a freaking car, man, right? You weren't talking about it. You did it. And despite things crumbling in that first attempt, you held on to that passion to do it, but also that fire and came through years later to make it happen. So when folks talk about team owners, it's one thing to be the rich guy who goes out and buys some cars, gets leases, everything's good. It's another thing to be the guy who's not really made out of money, but refuses to be stopped. So uh, I'll yeah. always appreciate that angle about you becoming an IndyCar team owner. That's very nice. Of you but so completely, completely true and factual how it all went down. So. All right. Let's, since we do have a sports car team owner here, I don't know if you can talk about this yet, but Don Moody asks, what is the status of the number 57 Caterpillar Acura for 2020? This being the all female entry led by Catherine Legg, Christina Nielsen, uh, Bia Figueredo, Simona Di Silvestro, Alice Powell last season in partnership with Heinricher Racing. My, uh, my phone kind of died here on, on me. Can you hear me? I can. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Can just repeat that question for me real quick, if you would. Not a problem. I'll just start over real quick. Uh, Don Moody asks about the status 
of the number 57 Caterpillar Acura for next season, Mike, that being the car that was co-entered. Heinrich Racing came in last year with your team, put together this pretty awesome all-female driver squad led by Catherine Lay, Christina Nielsen, Bia Figueredo, Simona Di Silvestro, Alice Powell, and I know there are lots of folks who would love to hear about what may, might be happening with that program next year. So that's an interesting thing. So we all read this week about the program that Catherine and Christina put together uh, with Brasser and their Lamborghini program, and I'm totally fine with it. I, uh, I think it's great that the, those ladies get to uh, put an effort together. We weren't able to put a deal together in a timely kind of fashion. Uh, there's no animosity. There's no bad feelings. We all kind of support each other on this thing. And sometimes this happens in racing. I can tell you that Jackie and I, uh, Jackie Heinreicher and I, are still working on some way to, to, to keep our program together. And I'm hoping within, you know, five to ten days here, we'll have something pretty cool uh, to announce. So but we're not quite there yet. Um, I appreciate what Jackie's been able to do and what she put together last year was pretty phenomenal. Um, didn't work out like we thought it would, uh, for next year and the next year after that, but you know, it's racing and I, I've seen a lot of things happen in our sport. And, um, again, just stand by and we'll have some more news, but just to be perfectly clear, you know, Catherine and I have been together since 2016, basically, and we've had a really good run together if it ended today. So I'm nothing but grateful. And, um, uh, same, you know, Christina was the first year I really got along. I mean, all of them, I got along with them really well. Uh, it just didn't work um, this time in the, in the, I guess, the time frame we all needed it to work. And to, to maybe clarify one thing, whatever the car number ends up being, you've announced one of your Acura GTD entries, uh, your second Acura entry, which has not been announced in terms of drivers and whatnot. That is still in play, correct? You you do in, intend to have oh, yeah. two full time entries, just to be clear. I've, I've got no matter no matter what, I've got two cars running. How that second car is going to totally look is not completely settled, but it's it's half settled. So, um, but it will happen. Uh, it will happen for sure. Awesome. Claire McCann had another question about possibly uh, doing some prototype things with jackie so as you mentioned we'll uh, we'll wait to see what you all announce sure all right let's uh let's go to ross porter good question says mike is a smaller team do you forecast the new engine and chassis package being in- introduced in 2022 making things easier or more difficult for your team compared to say a larger wealthier team he says possibly evening the playing field a bit with everyone starting with an empty playbook Absolutely. Completely true statement. So I'm okay with it. Think about this, though. We bought our cars that we have right now in 2018. So we'll get 18, 19, 20, 21. We're going to get four years out of that asset if they change everything, which I don't think they're going to. But if they change everything, we got four. You can't ask for a better life than that in racing. Uh, Anything over three years is just bonus, in my opinion, and has been accounted for financially. So when it's time to get new cars in 2022, potentially, we'll be ready and we'll welcome it because exactly that person's point they just brought up on the question. Separate from Ross's comment about leveling the competitive playing field, he does raise the question here, wondering about costs 
uh, and how a, a smaller team or newer team might handle purchasing new cars, engine leases, maybe whatever the cost of the hybrid system will be, aero screens, etc., and how that might hit you if all these things are indeed more expensive than what you have right now. It's true. I mean, so it's absolutely true. But the good thing is is that we will have time to raise the money that we need to to do this program. If it adds, let's say it adds, say everything he just mentioned adds a half a million dollars to what we got to raise. I'm just talking round numbers here. It gives me at least a year to try to figure out how we're going to manage that. So I'm not so scared about it. And, you know, it's funny, people... You know, we know we know where people are referred to as a little team. But Marshall, I've got forty-five people that work for me now. Forty-five. <laughs> so I'm not feeling so small anymore. It's, it's pretty stressful. So. Well, uh, I'm trying to feel small myself, but uh, I'm still yeah, working on that part, brother. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's see. Let's go to Ed Joris in this one. I don't know. I don't know if you can answer it or want to, but again, I'm going to pose it. He says, "Mike, are each of your programs separate businesses?" Or do the resources between the MSR, IndyCar, and IMSA programs mix? No, they're they're they're. Uh, we won't get too much into it, but they are they are separate. They have to be able to fund themselves. We don't bleed one for the other. Adam Klinger got a question pulling on our heartstrings here. It says okay. Mike, a few weeks ago, your team posted a trophy case photo on social media, and Justin Wilson's helmet caught his eye. He says, can uh-huh. you share a fun story from when the big man drove for you? Yeah, I can. And it's a tough one, and I've not talked about this. And, and it's something that I'll never forget. <clears throat> at our home that year that he passed away in the spring, so it was right around, he drove for me at Sebring in the spring of the year that he passed away, okay? And he came to my shop to do a seat fitting. And he, and he came out to my lake. I live on a lake, and, and we all had a birthday party for someone, and he happened to be staying at my house that night. And, and don't ask me why. We had blue cake, uh, some kind of blue cake. And, and, and he's all there with my friends. He's being really quiet, you know, and he's just being Justin, right, being really cool. He's drinking a little bit, but not a lot. And he started eating this blue cake, and it got – he was eating, he was kind of devouring it, right? <laughs> and, it, and it got all over, all over his face. And, and everybody, and all my friends, still this day, he said, in, in, in the English accent, he says, I have blue cake all over my face. Like high pitched <laughs> and, and very English and very British. And uh, it was, and everyone just busted out laughing. And uh, we have a picture of, we, we probably won't share it, but it's something that. Don't ask me why, but it's something that my friends and I share when we think about him. And also, by the way, when I go out to my shop and I look at the new system on my car, it I have mixed feelings because this system, Marshall, would have saved our friend. Mm, the aero screen. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and I have... Uh, I have a couple other things of Justin's in my shop still that I've brought myself to open them yet. So there's all kinds of, my shop has a lot of Justin Wilson. In it. Hmm. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Ryan Terpstra, our favorite agitator. Every episode it says, Mike, I believe the last time you were on weekend IndyCar, uh, you said next year was the time you wanted to target to go full time. So we've checked that box. And he said, yep. he believes you listed 2021, as a year where you possibly wanted to field 
two Indy 500 entries. He says, I mean, yeah. you're a Honda team, and this would be ahead of schedule, but your team needs a, a mayor, right? He says, uh, <laughs> what sponsors do I need to pitch to make this happen? Bush Light, maybe? Tim Hortons? Uh, hashtag <laughs> sign me up. So, uh, you know, while we're at it, any any developments making that two-car MSR 2021 program work, and could there be a certain dancing Canadian you might uh, you might ring if you could? all good questions and it's been asked to me a couple of times for sure uh we're we're pretty committed certainly in 2020 to be on a one one driver two car indycar team it's possible we entertain that for 21 there's no progress on it um we have to be very careful about how we grow i've been very careful to this point to not overextend ourselves and uh i'm happy with where we're doing with that uh I wish James nothing but the best. Got to know him, you know, fairly well over the last couple of years on the team. Um, but uh, we're not, we're not, we're not thinking about that right now. What I need right now is I need to finish in the top eight of the championship next year, and that's what I'm focused on. At least we're not putting any pressure on the shoulders of young Jack Harvey. Um, nope. he, he knows. <laughs> I love the follow-up question here from Jamin Tuttle, and I appreciate you asking it because I was thinking the same thing. This is Mike. Congratulations on becoming full time. Also mentioned that, you know, past note that you're hoping to do two cars at Indy. He says you laid out a blueprint to show how it could be patiently done of working from part time start to full time entering IndyCar. He says, has anyone come to you asking, how'd you do it and showing an interest <laughs> in trying to learn or apply it? Yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I've actually have had a couple. Um, I'm not saying our system was not flawed or not perfect, but um, I've had a couple of people ask me how make you know how we did it, and, um, and and I'm always happy to talk to people about it. But really, what it's about is relationships and building strong relationships and doing every single thing you commit to saying you will do, and that starts from the top on down. Another key part was for me is I recognized that I needed some help. And uh, we sold a percentage of our business to Jim Meyer in 20, uh, that would have been 2018, the very beginning of 2018 and then 17. And that was another key part for me to kind of make this happen. Um, yeah. I remember uh, when we saw each other and, and spoke at spring training at the Phoenix Oval in 2018, earlier in the year. And you said, yeah, wouldn't say who it was, but you said soon here, I want to introduce you to somebody. He's, uh, he's going to have a, a pretty important role in what this team does going forward. And in my mind, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe a, you know, a general manager or some sort of, you know, someone internally to help tell folks where to park the trucks or whatever. And little did I know you're swinging a lot bigger, bigger bat than yeah. that. Uh, yeah. Let's go to J.D. Ellis, who says, Mike, when will you have another open house? Yeah, you know, this is something that must happen soon. Okay. And the problem is we're never there. Now, we're trying to figure out a way we can do one this winter. I just haven't, haven't got it done. If we do, I promise everyone that we will get it out socially and get everyone at the shop that we can. And, and by the way, uh, the, the newest news I have for you is that I just bought six acres of land about a week ago, and we're going to break ground on a new shop for MSR in March and move into a new facility by the end of next season. Wow. 
Yeah, very big news for me. I haven't told anyone that. Is that uh, you staying super local, or you, is it much more of a drive than you have right now? Or what, what's the plan? No, no, we're we're, doing, we're staying in my county, in my town. Um, they really want us to stay there, and made sure that we did. And um, can't wait to build this thing. It's really going to be. Um, it's really going to help us expand our capabilities and. Um, and make sure we stay relevant for Actor and Honda as we kind of move into the next phase of what we do. Shanka Palooza. I'm loving this. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Thomas Ayrton. We start to get into our, our final couple of questions here, Mike. Thomas Ayrton yeah. says, I'm not sure if you, if you can get into this yet, Mike, but if the opportunity arises for you to become a standalone IndyCar team, do you take it or do you think it's better to remain in a partnership with the Andretti family? You know, I do not know the answer to this question. I always thought that we would have our own independent team, but I kind of like these deals. I'm, 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 I'm okay with what we're doing right now. Let's see how this goes. Um, but the technical partnerships work for me, and um, I don't have that quite that driving urge that I did a year and a half ago. Let's go to Josh Ridgen, who says. Mike, how hard do you find balancing the running of the IndyCar team and the IMSA teams? It is very difficult. And um, the, the, the biggest thing is just managing the folks, these great folks that we have working for us. And I've developed a new management structure and ladder that I'm putting in place right now. Really? Matt, Sw- Matt Swan is part of that. Oh, you know, that's why I'm bringing Matt in oh, to help Jesus. me. Why are you uh, doing this to yourself? Oh, my God. Well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we just got to keep this momentum going. And I'm, I'm trying to do a little different structure than you see in a lot of traditional larger IndyCar, IMSA teams, um, where I'm eliminating some middle management positions. Um, and we'll see how this goes. I like that. This sounds like a future story for us to do. Alternate Maybe. management approaches in IndyCar. That, that's right yeah. up my alley here. Well, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to try it. Look, so. I, I've got, I have the management failure in IndyCar side covered, so I'm trying to fill in the rest of the book here uh, with the success stuff. Uh, Mark Cardella asks, what's the probability of your team being in IMSA's DPI category in 2021? Um, well, there is a chance. There is a chance. I, I don't want to give percentages or anything, but... I'm going to do where the mothership tells me they need me to do. If it go to DPI, then that's what we do. If we need to de- develop a new GT3 car, then that's what we'll do. But I value my relationship with Honda Acura so much that uh, they know I want to be in DPI as soon as I can be. And uh, but I'm also serve at their at their leisure. So um, that relationship and, and that attitude has worked very well for me with them for the last. I'll be going on my fifth year with them next season. And um, um, I want to be back there. I feel like it's where we belong. All right. We're down to our, our last couple here. Lance Snyder says, Mike, being one of the, uh, again, we'll say smaller teams, apparently, uh, being one of the smaller teams in the paddock, how rough is the trio of terrible scheduling? Says Indy 500 Detroit double in Texas, back to back to back uh, on weekends there. He says, what can you do as an owner to keep the crew morale and energy up during what will what must be a brutal time? Also keeping in mind, this is now going to be your new reality as a full-time entrant. 
Yeah, great question. And just keep in mind, I haven't done it yet, but I can tell you what my, my, you know, Adam Rovizzini really runs the IndyCar program for me. Okay. And what he has pushed me hard on and the way we survive that exact onslaught of racing is preparation. So I'm spending more money than I want to to have all of our spares built and ready to swap onto the car. We need more parts so that it's a simple part swap and not a science experiment. Mm. Get the cars ready, okay? So we will have a plan of dressed motors, dressed gearboxes, dressed uh, uprights and axles that can easily be swapped in, let's call it a day's time, um, and be ready. So, for instance, when we're... Uh, when we're doing the Indy 500, and uh, we'll ha- also have our Detroit car there at the track, and it will be being prepped in, in kind of in parallel with why we're at the 500. And um, so I would say the biggest thing is preparation. More parts than I want to own, but it really helps to keep our guys on a very regimented uh, program. Carlos Villalobos takes us back to the damper question. Interesting one. I've never thought of Carlos, so thank you. He says, since each team spends and invests so much money on dampers, is it possible to market the developments to damper OEMs to make additional income streams for the teams? Never really thought about that. Taking the uh, the, the big brain stuff you learn in motor racing and seeing if some of the aftermarket uh, damper manufacturers for road cars might want that information. I don't know. Is that's, that... that's, that's, that's very interesting. Um, I haven't thought of it, to be honest with you. Uh, there is some IP in there that probably could benefit the, the OEM side. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that would exactly work. But I can tell you that uh, IndyCar teams uh, guard their IP on dampers like it's Fort Knox. Mm. Right? So they're probably not really wanting to, you know, once it gets out the door, it's really hard to keep track of it and where it's going. So. Uh, I think that would be a trick wick, but I never thought how you could bring in revenue or create a revenue stream from that. Day. I hadn't thought of it. Well, that's why our listeners are pretty awesome. Two questions yeah. to go, starting with Ed Haynes. He says, Mike, expanding on the question about teams' budgets, he asks, how do teams factor in crash damage? He says, I think I've heard of insurance, but do teams take a driver's past crashes into account? Do the drivers themselves pay? And I know that this question, Mike, would obviously be probably different from a multiple driver sports car versus single driver IndyCar. So can you share with folks who don't know some of the various scenarios yeah. you might look at? Yeah, yeah. So what we do is we estimate, you know, based on historical knowledge. Um, now, I don't have a lot to base that off of, but I use numbers I have. What, what, what do I put in the budget for crash damage? And I just put that number in there. If it goes above that, then then we have to get real, real creative in moving the coconut around, right? Uh, we do have on-track insurance. And I've been insured every year. I've been in IndyCar. It's an interesting, aggressive program from Lloyd's in England, and uh, I'm considering doing it again. Uh, we're working on it right now. Um, so we'll see, but it is insurable. Let's close the show, Mike, with Mike Lingell, who says, do you still own... The Riley and Scott IRL chassis you drove back in 1997 at Las Vegas. No, we sunk that as a reef in Lake Erie, so people dive around it now. <laughs> <laughs> and you can tell Bill Riley I said that. That's, I'm okay with that. Ah, <laughs> oh, Lord, poor thing. I mean, it wasn't a bad-looking car. 
Right? I uh, mean, it, uh, was, it was the devil. It was the devil. Uh, tell folks, you know, for those who don't know that Mike Shank isn't just a, you know, a sexy beer drinking team owner from Ohio. You were a racy car driver there. Tell us about what made the car evil. Cause you know, some of the well, stories got to be funny. Well, I mean, so the, the biggest thing is, is I could never feel the front end of the car. It had no, for me, and I was very inexperienced. I was a green, green rookie. I could never, I remember Bob Riley going to the front of the car and I'm just like, I don't feel it. It's not the front end's not in the track. You know, it's, you know, he put, I, I don't know how many rounds front wing in that thing. It, it literally point, pointed to get, get back out there. And I'm like, holy shit. I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen when I whistle this thing into one. You're popping and a reverse was, wheelie, right? I literally, you know, it was a really interesting experience. I understand that they found some problems later on, uh, a couple different ways. It really doesn't matter. It kind of, it kind of killed my racing uh, desire after that, and uh, and it turned out, Marshall. Let's be honest. I was maybe slightly above average racing driver at my best, and I've certainly found my role where I'm happy and uh, getting what I want out of it. Um, and by the way. I went on to spend millions with him and based on a prototype for O'Reilly I'm talking about. So I don't feel guilty about giving a shit for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, now I think I've finally figured out after all these years, why you and I get along so well, we both realized that the thing we did on the, on the racing, the team side, racing side, yeah, we were okay, but we were kind of better suited to move on to our, our, our current roles in the sport. That's so. exactly right. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly All right. right. Uh, my my first initial is M, and it stands for mediocrity. All right. Well, <laughs> fellow initial M, Michael Shank, thanks as always for taking some time, my friend. I know you're doing this blitzing from home to L.A. and back in an airport trying to eat dinner and do all kinds of things. So, as always, appreciate you and the time you've taken not just to answer all the questions that were sent in, but you can tell by the type of questions you get uh, what folks think of you, how highly you're regarded, and I think most of all, how people trust you. They know they can ask th- real questions, not the fluffy ones, and you're not yeah. just gonna you're not just gonna whiff on them. All right, man, I appreciate it. Anytime, Marshall.